You're listening to From the Burgundy Chairs, a podcast for health system leaders created by Santa's Health. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening. My name is Dan Carbon, and I'm a principal here at Santa's Health. On today's episode, Dr. Naveed Mohammed, CEO and president of William Osler Health System, is joining me to discuss how hospitals are navigating and planning amidst a pandemic. Due to social distancing, we're not actually in the studio today, and Dr. Muhammad is joining us virtually. Dr. Naveed Muhammad was appointed president and CEO of William Osler Health System in April 2020. William Osler is one of Canada's largest community hospital systems, serving 1.3 million people living in a fast-growing and culturally diverse region that includes Northwest Toronto, Brampton, and Peel region. Although Dr. Muhammad is new to the role of CEO, he has long ties to the organization, having joined Osler 23 years ago as an emergency physician at Etobicoke General. Since then, he's held a number of progressively senior physician leadership roles. Most recently, prior to assuming the CEO role, Dr. Muhammad was Osler's Executive VP for Quality, Medical, and Academic Affairs. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Muhammad. It's often said that crisis is the ultimate test of leadership. If that's truly the case, you really didn't have long to settle in before being confronted with one of the greatest challenges that you'll face as CEO. Uh, Can you share your experience, what it was like to transition into this new role at the height of a pandemic and what's really an unprecedented time for for our modern health system? When I was interviewing uh, for the role, um, as the interview process progressed, we started to find out what was happening uh, in Asia with the COVID crisis. I didn't expect that, you know, the day that I step in, we would be two weeks into this crisis full-blown in Canada, and especially in Ontario and this part of the GTA. So the beginning wasn't as I expected. But what was really great was that Osler's COVID-19 response was well underway at that time. And being the executive vice president and a frontline emergency physician, I was already really quite steeped in our pandemic response. Working on the front lines for the majority of my career, including a lot of work that I did as the chief of emergency medicine during SARS and the H1N1 and the Ebola experience gave me a, a lot of uh, previous solid experience to draw from. There, there were many parts uh, that I had to quickly get to understand uh, from, a, from a president and CEO level. You know, really details about the operations uh, and how to do it from uh, a leadership role that I took on. The resources that were available, such as not only financial resources, but adequate supplies of PPE, staff redeployment, virtual platforms. And really what was really most important was being a visible leader and ensuring that my SLT, my senior leadership team were also visible because this, at this time, our staff was at the height of their anxiety. Uh, there were a lot of information, true and not true, going back and forth about whether the pandemic or the actual disease was uh, droplet contact, was it airborne, did you need an N95 mask? Did you need a surgical mask? Did you need a face shield? So there was a lot of things uh, that we had to get used to. And lastly, having to work with external partners. The community themselves wanted to support us, but they were also quite anxious. So a lot of my initial work was based on working with our frontline staff, being visible, and working with key stakeholders in the community 
not only to help, help them provide support for us, but also to ensure that they understood how the hospital functioned and what the new normal for now looked like. You know, it's, it's interesting in the, even setting aside COVID-19, you knew that you were coming into a very challenging job. Uh, you're, William Osler serves one of the fastest growing uh, regions in Canada. The municipal government, even, even before the pandemic, had declared a, a local health care emergency due to the massive capacity needs of this growing population. And this is something that William Osler has dealt with over over decades. You know, the, the funding uh, from the provincial government not necessarily keeping pace with population growth. Can you kind of reflect on as you think about the future of health services in your community and the longer term kind of uh, capacity planning that you've been engaged in as an organization for years, how those plans are going to evolve or, or change because of the needs of COVID-19? How are things fundamentally over the long term going to change because of a, a, a pandemic that may last for, for a year? You know, I, I really feel that this COVID-19 disease is going to be around for a very long time. The pandemic itself may only last for a year, but the precautions that we'll have to take uh, will be longer than a year. Osler, as you've stated, is one of Canada's largest and busiest community hospitals. Uh, we serve a population that is growing tremendously and is very diverse, and a population that is a very high chronic disease burden just because of the, the diversity and the genetic makeup of the population. We serve right now more than 1.3 million residents across this part of the GTA, Brampton, Peel region, and the Northwest Toronto. And having a political landscape where the community is very proud of their hospital, but at the same time, very involved in every small change that occurs in the hospital, it's not anything new for me. When we opened in 2007, the new Brampton Civic Hospital, uh, we had a lot of uh, community pressure then, and that hasn't changed. And I don't believe Brampton was in a healthcare emergency as of October last year. We've been in a healthcare emergency for a number of years, maybe more than 10 years. Our pressures are quite real, and we continue to grow. Uh, we are at times called the epicenter of hallway medicine, and probably because everyone has hallway patients, but our city council and our community stakeholders make sure that the province knows that we have hallway patients. But at the same time, we have outperformed many hospitals on indicators such as ALC, emergency department wait times, and other indicators that you may think may be lagging because of our pressures. Uh, we've already been hit hard by COVID-19 in the Peel region and North of Etobicoke. So we need to look at all aspects of healthcare and uh, infrastructure in this region. Our virtual care delivery program has now been accelerated and we, we are looking to bring even more modern virtual care aspects into the work that we're doing. What's really important is that we haven't stopped the push into what we want to do in terms of the redevelopment of the healthcare infrastructure in this region. We continue to talk to the ministry about our cancer care program, about what we're gonna do with our Peel Memorial Center for Health and Wellness, uh, in terms of adding more post-acute care beds, more mental health beds, and perhaps creating our urgent care center, which is a 14-hour center, into a 24-hour center. 
Now, we've been planning that pre-COVID, but we'll have to pivot a bit because there are new guidelines coming in, such as you can't have more than two patients in one room um, when you're admitting a person. We have in our older sites uh, a large number of general ward rooms where they, we usually put four patients. And if we're going to go to two patients a room, it's really going to cut into our capacity. And to mitigate that, we will have to continue to work with the ministry and with our community on a different type of hospital infrastructure. We truly believe that integration is going to be the answer for a seamless healthcare system. We were one of the uh, locations that was awarded an Ontario Health Team, and we continue to work with our primary care providers, our specialists, our home healthcare services, our Peel Public Health, Etobicoke Public Health, our long-term care homes, and many other partners in the community to continue the path to integration. And if we can do that, then we can certainly reduce the pressures, not only on the hospitals, but on um, every healthcare resource in the community. So those are the things that we continue to work on. And as we get better at managing COVID and getting used to the new normal, uh, those are the key aspects that we will continue to push on uh, to really build um, a modern healthcare infrastructure in this region. One of the criticisms of the provincial government's response to COVID-19, which is, which is, I think, um, easier in hindsight, is that perhaps too much policy attention was placed on hospitals at the early stage of the crisis. So ensuring that hospitals had adequate PPE, ensuring that uh, that there was capacity within the hospitals to deal with the surge in, in ICUs, uh, really informed by the, the horrific experiences that we, we saw in, in Italy and a few other places. Uh, but those critics would argue that, that perhaps there wasn't enough attention in, in long-term care. There wasn't enough attention in, the, in, the in leveraging the community sector. And that kind of runs counter to the, the, the government's, uh, uh, not just this government, but many governments stated intention to focus on an integrated delivery system. Yeah, so I'm not one of the people that is of the opinion that the ministry didn't handle this the right way. I think what we have to understand is that our siloed healthcare system has existed for, long, for a very long time. And those of us who have worked in the front lines, those of us that have worked as emergency physicians uh, that see these patients for the first time, uh, knew very well that there were gaps or lack of resources in our long-term care sector, uh, in our public health sector, and even a lot of our community healthcare resources. Certainly, we noticed that in the Etobicoke-Brampton region, and I think it exists uh, in most of Ontario, if not most of Canada. What COVID-19 did was to bring all of those deficiencies to the surface uh, for everyone else to see. And I think putting the onus on the hospitals really was the only way the ministry could have gone, because that's where the infrastructure existed. The hospitals were centers that opened our assessment centers to begin with. Uh, public health or a lot of our community uh, resources were not able to open testing centers and put large numbers of people through those testing centers just to start the testing. If you look at us at Osler, 
we are now close to 60,000 patients tested through our assessment centers. We have our drive-through centers. And the crisis started in March, and only in the last three weeks has public health been able to create the pop-up centers that they're going from place to place in, in, their, in the makeshift testing bus from community center to community center. But I don't blame public health for that. I just feel that uh, that's what they were resourced with and that's how long it took them. So that's why hospitals became key players. And yes, we were quite concerned that as we focused on testing and as we focused on nursing homes uh, or long-term care homes, we were going to be taking away some of the focus and some of the resources internally. So we had to be really careful. You talked about on Ontario health teams in your previous answer. Can you talk about you know, how um, even during the pandemic, uh, William Osler has worked with its community partners in the, in, in the community sector, in, in primary care, and also in long-term care. Uh, Osler has been asked to step in with the, the active management of the day-to-day management to improve infection control in a long-term care home in Vaughan. So what, what have you kind of learned through this experience and those ties uh, to, to your community partners? And, and how do you build on those as you emerge from this first wave of, of COVID-19? We had a number of homes in our region and our, our peer hospitals, Humber, uh, River, and Trillium faced the same issues and we worked together on it, uh, where a number of homes were in difficulty in our region, a number of homes were in what we call red status or outbreak. And we all did our part. Osler actually did assessments in more than 20 homes uh, to provide advice on uh, infection prevention and control and to transfer some of those patients into Osler just to be able to cohort patients in that home in a safe manner. While we were doing that work, we were one of the hospitals that was assigned uh, the task of managing uh, one of the long-term care homes in uh, Bonn, uh, which is just in the north part of Toronto. Uh, and we took over the management of Woodbridge Vista in the last two weeks and have been working on a management plan with Sienna, who owns uh, the home. And it's a really collaborative two-way relationship that we built with them. And I think there will be uh, some great things coming out of that. Now, we had started our Ontario health team work more than a year ago. So we were already fully into trying to build an Ontario health team. So we had significant relationships that had been built with primary care and uh, with, with home and community care, with other long-term care homes. So what that did was that during a time like this, everyone stepped up. I really do want to thank the primary care physicians in the community who did step up and help us in not only directing patients appropriately away from the hospital, those that didn't need to be here, but also for stepping up and helping us in our long-term care homes, going in there as physicians, assessing patients. And also they provided a significant amount of help in our assessment centers, in manning the assessment centers. And that was just the primary care physicians. All of our other healthcare partners in the community were able to really build on the relationships that we had built through the Ontario Health Team to really serve this community well during the COVID crisis. And, and this is actually, you know, in hindsight, 
the difficulties in COVID may actually make it easy for us to accelerate to an, an integrated system because of the work that we've done together and because of what COVID has done uh, for enhancing everybody's desire to do virtual care. Uh, physicians want to do virtual care now, patients want to do virtual care. And we as an organization will be uh, putting in resources into more virtual platforms so that we can keep the hospital safe. We have to screen less patients. There's less traffic in the hospital and uh, we can social distance better. And uh, a lot of patients, especially our seniors, can stay at home and see their consultants without having to risk uh, coming into an area where they may be more exposed. British Columbia, uh, just as a, an example, put out a very detailed analysis of the backlogs related to the uh, uh, the COVID-19 response. They predict it's going to take a minimum of two years to get through the surgical backlog as a result of um, canceling elective procedures. We're already struggling throughout Ontario with, uh, with pretty significant wait times for a number of procedures. With hospitals being asked to operate at at lower capacity, and you talked about how not being able to have four people in a room as an example of that. How do you uh, kind of get things back to normal and serve the non-COVID health needs of the community uh, as as things um, as the province reopens? In terms of non-COVID related healthcare issues, we have been really, really clear to our community that if you need to come to the hospital, we want you to come. What we don't want is our patients staying at home, self-diagnosing and self-triaging themselves, and then getting into a situation that may be more troublesome. We've tried to really advise our community on how safe our emergency departments are, how we have separated the paths to potential COVID or infectious patients and non-infectious patients. So we're going to continue on that in terms of the general care that we provide to our community. And as things get warmer in the summer, as parks open up and people start to get out there and be more active, uh, they will need the emergency department more and more. And we want to make sure that they understand that the hospitals are still a safe place to come. In terms of surgery, that is a fear that we're all living with. And in Ontario, Surgeries and ambulatory care procedures are being allowed to open up, but in phases. We at Osler have only this week been approved to start the phase one of our recovery process. And phase one basically means that we're going to go up to about 45 to 50% of our usual normal capacity. Once things ease up, and we continue to maintain an adequate occupancy rate, an adequate amount of PPE, and continue to have human resources, we'll be able to apply for phase two. There's no hospital in Ontario right now that is allowed to go to phase two. But once we go to phase two, which will be in the next few months, we'll only be up to what we call 100% of our capacity, or at least attempt to get there. What that means is that we still haven't gotten to cut into the wait times that have been created over this time. It's only in phase three that we will be able to really up our game or add resources or add hours so that we can start to chip into 
what has been created as a backlog throughout Ontario over this time. We continue to do urgent and emergent surgery, patients that came into our emergency departments or patients that were newly diagnosed uh, with uh, new problems and needed to get things done. We continue to do those patients. But the backlog, I agree, will take at least two years uh, to get through. We are looking at other innovative ways of trying to expedite that, whether it's adding evening hours or weekend hours to our clinics and to our ORs, you know, finances and resources permitting. But we're also looking at some surgery centers that are available in the community. Uh, places such as the, the endoscopy and colonoscopy suites that are available in the community or the plastic surgery, surgery centers that are in the community. We are working with our physicians and our community partners to see, can we transfer some of the minor procedures there and get things done there? Those are just initial discussions, but those are, that's the kind of out-of-the-box thinking we'll have to look at across the province to really move that needle um, on, on the wait times. Thank you very much. And best of luck in, in coming weeks as, as you continue to reopen um, additional services. Do you have any uh, parting thoughts or, or comments e either to folks in your community, staff at William Osler or others in the health system? I think the only thing I will say is that everyone is talking about the new normal and, and that's what we have to focus on is that the new normal will include some more difficult situations on how you navigate through hospitals. We'll feel that when we go get on a train, when we get on a, a long distance bus and when we, get on, when we get on a flight, things will be different for everybody, not only for staff, but specifically for our patients. And I just want to make sure that our patients understand that uh, each hospital in the province is doing their best to make sure that safety is paramount before anything else. We will have to continue to talk to our staff and help them understand that working in this different environment uh, is not going to be a one or two month issue. Right now, we're all facing and waiting to see what will happen in the fall. Will there be a wave two? But what we will know for, what I do know for sure is that every cough and cold and flu that walks in our doors, which is very common in October, November, December, January, we will have to assume that they are infectious and we will have to isolate them. We will have to test them. And that will be very different than what we've faced in the past. It will, it will mean that patient flow may get hampered because you will have to put patients in private rooms until uh, you can clear them from a test and then move them to uh, a more uh, congregate setting. So these are things that I worry about in that how long can our staff cope with this? And when I say our staff, I mean every organization across the country. In the end, I think we'll get used to it. Uh, it will take a lot of work. And um, I'm hoping that Osler will continue to lead uh, in many of the things that uh, we have led through this crisis. Thank you again for your sharing your time and your perspective today and uh, best of luck. Thanks for listening. 
You can find this episode and more on our website at santashealth.ca and on our Twitter at Santas Health. This has been from the Burgundy Chairs.